Welcome to the Infinite Worlds Podcast. Yo, kids, this is Nick the Tooth, and today I am joined by my co-host and publisher of the Infinite Worlds magazine, Winston Ward. All right, here we are, new Infinite Worlds podcast. We are in the middle of dystopia, so what better thing to talk about than dystopia? How are you doing, Winston? You know, how, how good can you be doing right now? I'm, I'm doing as well as you can be considering uh, the state of the world today, I'd say. Yeah. And well, yourself. I'm recovered. Yeah, I'm recovered. I, I got, I'm one of the first people that I know that got uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, and uh, I've been living uh, in the middle of a, of a, a Stephen King uh, dystopian novel, I must say, but I'm, I've come out the other side and I'm all the more grateful for it now. Um, uh, you know, it's funny, of all the people that would get it, it would be you. Your life is just so interesting. Like, uh, it's not I know, that's, that's why I think we're in a simulation. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, this episode we're going to talk about dystopia and its general, uh, the idea behind it and its place in science fiction literature and lore and uh, its place in our actual lived reality that we all share. So get set for that. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get to it, brother. I appreciate it. Buckle up. I know, man. Isn't it crazy, dude? How have you been, man? Uh, you know, trying to trying to figure out what the next move is, I guess. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. Been a real obviously for so many reasons. It's been so crazy and my business, the my day job has stayed open. I uh for those who don't know, I still work as a furniture finisher for a uh, family company here in Georgia uh, and their odyssey of deciding how they would stay open, if they're going to stay open. Uh, our governor didn't issue a statewide lockdown in response to the COVID-19, but did a, like a selective lockdown locking down. Cause you, cause you, cause you guys are somewhat of a third world country. That's right. That's right. You, you, that's, ex- <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Uh, very primitive are the politics uh, here in Georgia. I'm afraid, you know, uh, being from, being from the South, that does not, uh, that response does not surprise me um, because I think that's the response of typical of most Southern governors, right? Is yeah. ah, it's not real. It's like the governor of Mexico who just proclaimed that, uh, that poor people are immune. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, the, the, I love the entire strategy going on right now of, you know what, if you want to save the U S economy, you better get to work. And, uh, you know, that's the really important thing right now is making sure that we, uh, keep those, that bottom line figure looking good. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's crazy. Capitalism on uh freaking steroids. Right? It's, it's on a rampage right now. And it's really wild to watch. Uh, but wait, hold on before we go any further, we got to uh-huh. talk about your experience, man. Oh my gosh, dude. Oh, it's so crazy. You know, you know, what was so nuts about this entire thing for me is that even before this, uh, before this thing started, I was, um, I was in the middle of a van build. I had given like the, I had given like a 30 day, uh, notice on my lease and worked it out with my landlord. And I was like, man, I'm going to be so stoked. Cause I'm going to live in this van. I bought this big sprinter van, uh, a commercial like town car. I've been watching you build of, it out online. It looks awesome. 
Yeah. And so I was so into it. I was literally working like every single day, like 10 hours a day. And I was like, man, I was hitting my goals. I was making things happen. And, uh, next thing you know, right. <laughs> all of a sudden global pandemic strikes. It, it's, it's, I, I think that when we look back on this, what's going to be so fascinating is how it kind of just crept up on us where people were like, I, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. It doesn't look like it's really going to be serious. You know, you kind of, whenever, I, I think whenever we watch like dystopian movies, you know, or read dystopian books, especially when they deal with the onset, it's just like a boom, nuclear bomb right, drops or something. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, no, man, it didn't happen like that. Not it at just crept up on you. The water just started to get hotter and hotter and hotter, and it's still getting hotter, right? I've been comparing it to like a, a tidal wave, sort of just, you're just, all we can do is watch, stand uh, at the beachhead and just watch it just coming at us. Coming at us, coming at us. But you know what? I like your comparison better because it is, even though the tidal wave is like gradually approaching you, it kind of does eventually hit you all at once. And your analogy makes more sense because you're right. It's just like steadily getting worse all the time Uh, and uh, steadily becoming more, uh, you know, of a problem, not just for the health of the people, but for the economy, for society. Uh, it's, It's really wild to behold. You know, I don't think our listeners know, but you've been sick. Yeah, I've been past, really sick. For the past several really days sick. here. Um, yeah, it started, It's you know, when, when this thing first started, people started talking about it and we were watching the news. And I was working on the, of course, I was working on the van. And I remember at night, it was like Sunday, like two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago. And all of a sudden, I started getting kind of chills and feverish. And I was like, oh, shit, man. But I didn't think I didn't think uh, Corona at all. That wasn't my thoughts. I was just like, man, I hope I'm not getting sick again. I hope I'm not getting another sinus infection. I explained to people like every three, four months, I'll get a uh, a sinus infection just because I've had my nose broken so many times. Right. And so whenever I get allergies, I'll get a sinus infection. But usually it's, you know, I might get chills for like a day or two when my body's fighting it. But this just kept getting worse and worse. And I was like, damn, man, did I get the the flu? And then and then by the third day, I was like, shit, I think I got coronavirus. So I talked to my uh, my doctor. And of course, it, it, by even at this point, you you know, two weeks ago, you couldn't get a doctor's appointment anymore. It was mm-hmm. in Southern California. It was already over. And so uh I was able to get on uh, on, on a phone conference with him. It took two days. And he said, well, you know, it's probably just the the flu, hopefully. So I'm going to put you on Tamiflu. I'm like, yeah, but I've already been around a lot of people that had the flu this year. And I get a flu shot like September every year, September, October. And he's like, yeah, but we just have to kind of rule that out. So just go on Tamiflu. And so he put me on Tamiflu and you know, my fever just kept getting worse and oh, worse man. And just, yeah, the, the, the fever and the chills and the fatigue just kept getting worse until finally I couldn't, I could hardly move. And, uh, and so I was done with the Tamiflu and I called him and he's like, shit, man. He goes, it sounds, you know, because I started developing then like a shortness of breath and just a little bit, 
you know, but, uh, and he's like, well, it kind of sounds like, you know, a lot of people are coming in right now that haven't. He said, but we're only, we don't have any tests. No one has any tests. The only tests we have, (laughs) the only, yeah, I know. The only way we're testing is if it's going to make a difference in your treatment. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And he's like, well, that means unless we're admitting you to the hospital and we need to know whether you need to go on a ventilator or, you know, that we need to know what we're dealing with when you come into the hospital, then we're not, we're not testing. We just cannot do it. Just can't afford to do it. Yeah. Yeah, well, don't they have just the spare tests. Yeah, they don't have the tests. They don't have the personnel to admit the, to to administer the tests. They're that they were that overwhelmed two weeks ago. Man, just our medical infrastructure is absolutely not up to snuff for something like this, man. No, and it, it didn't help that you know that uh, that you know two months ago when this thing first started going around that that we didn't our government's response was it's not real. It's a hoax. You can say the Trump administration. Yeah, the Trump. Trump. Let's just forget Trump administration. That our president said it's a hoax. It's not real. It's uh, it's just another impeachment effort to try and get me out of office. They failed at that. So let's not. Why don't we invent a pandemic? Yeah. Okay. So instead of ordering tests, instead of doing, you know, there have been, and I told someone that I'm like, listen, man, I'm a lawyer. I understand how politics works. This guy has been receiving intelligence briefings by the greatest intelligence agency that has ever existed in the history of the world. Don't think that they didn't know that this was coming down the pipeline in late December and early January. They knew. And of course, then the reports guy told a buddy of mine who's a hardcore conservative. He's like, you don't know that. You don't know that. I'm like, dude, come on. He's the president of the United States. Of course, he fucking knew it. Of course, they were land. Those briefings were landing on his desk every day. And he and sure enough, a report came out that said that exact thing that he was like, no, no, I don't want anything. He didn't want to. Dis- it's an election year. Right. He didn't want to disturb the stock market. You know, as soon as he knew, as soon as he started saying something, he's you know, still, the stock market. Yeah. He's still pushing to get everybody to go back to work. Uh, he wants to quit social. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a big mess, obviously. Uh, but, you know, this is a good segue because one of the key, key distinguishing characteristics of dystopia, our subject for today's podcast, is a blundering government. Uh, blundering tyrannical government and um that's certainly something that we could probably all relate to these days i would think uh oh even even those of you that are more conservative our more conservative listeners of course we welcome you too i'm sorry if the things we say offend you i'm not really sorry but you know i you know still like you even if the things i say offend you uh, yeah but let's call it like it is man. yeah exactly I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna so sick of hold fucking- my tongue yeah, uh, I'm so sick of people being making this. You know what's crazy too is that how quickly this became just like climate change, where it became a uh, a political issue. Oh yeah, where people people were asking me, they're like, "Yeah, but is it real? Are you you know are you sure it's real?" And all of a sudden, it became forget about science. It just became uh, about you know this isn't. And all of a sudden, on the but what's crazy, Winston, is it wasn't just on the right; it was on the left too. People on the right. People on the right were saying it's not real. 
-hmm. It's not real. And then people on the left were saying, well, I think Trump administration engineered this because it's an election year and he want to make him like a wartime president. And both things are just equally stupid. Well, uh, one thing that I will – I am definitely what you would probably call a progressive. Some people would say liberal. Uh, I just call myself a humanist. I don't really like to be put into those types of categories if I could help it because I consider myself sort of dynamic and changing as new information comes in. But uh, I definitely consider, you know, you would probably look at me that way, but I am the first to tell you that stupid people come in both categories, conservative, liberal. There are plenty of stupid people on both sides. It's not refer, you know, reserved for one or the other at all. No, it's not. And it's crazy that I think with the rise of the Internet, one of the unexpected things, because I remember thinking, man, the Internet's going to be so liberating. It's it's just given so much power to stupidity and stupid people. (laughs) And I was telling someone the other day, I'm like, listen, man, you have to understand that if you want to look at the the data for human, any human population, just look at the bell curve. You know, mm-hmm. it's real. 30% of, of humanity, you know, as it's distributed across all ethnicities are stupid. They're mm-hmm. IQ. They just have low IQs. And the internet is just the, like this, almost this church for stupid people, for them to congregate and reinforce Everyone gets ideas. equal footing for their ideas on the internet, you know, oh, no matter how ridiculous gosh. or, uh, you know, harmful their ideas are. It doesn't matter. So anyways, just I'll finish up like what happened with my, uh, okay, with, yeah, let's hear it. With, with the, with the illness. So then as it, because a lot of people were like, what was it like? What was it like for me? It was like really a lot of fatigue and a lot of chills for really almost two weeks to the point that there were two or three days where I could not even get out of bed. I couldn't move. Like the social isolation was easy because <laughs> I just was, I was gone, you know? And, um, and then the shortness of breath started coming. I only got that for two days. And uh, when that started, you know, it was like someone was like, well, are you sure that wasn't in your mind? And I'm like, no, I could mm. feel when I couldn't breathe because it felt like I was underwater. Oh and I God. said my fear reaction was in my mind, of course. And it was hardcore. It was hard to deal with that anxiety. And and I talked about on one of my podcasts where on one of my posts, I mean, where I said, uh, you know, at some point I just had to, to like a samurai, you know, I had to make peace with my death. I really Jesus. did that where I was man. just like, this, this could be it, man. I got to be like this. A lot of people are dying from this. A lot of people, you know, in their twenties and thirties are dying and I, I have to be comfortable with this. And, and luckily once I did that, I was able to just go, okay, it's what come what may, it's going to be a new experience, even death. And uh, <sighs> as morbid as that is, oh, no, that's I, how I, heavy that's how heavy this thing is, man. I've never felt anything like it. Never, ever felt anything like it. But luckily, you know, I started to every morning I would wake up and I would just open my eyes and I would just take a breath and I would be like, am I breathing worse today? Because I knew what the end result was. The end result is when you're not breathing, you have to go onto a ventilator. And if you go onto a ventilator, there's a good chance you're not going to recover. And so every day I would just be like, you know, and and all I could do was try and de-stress everything around me, which was difficult. I had to put up very strong boundaries with people because there was just people were getting involved in all this political drama and all this shit. And I just had to tell family members and everybody just stay away from me. I'll talk to you in a month. 
You know what I mean? I have to recover. And the only thing that I have, the only weapon at my disposal is my mind. And if I can't exercise some, some boundaries and some, some mental discipline with this and de-stress everything, it's hard, man. It's hard. It's hard to do that in regular life. And it's really hard to do that when you're facing a serious acute illness like that. So luckily I started to heal and I, the, the, the fever started to getting a little less and a little less and the fatigue finally today, I would say I'm three days out of the woods. Um, and finally I, uh, today was the first day where I'm like, man, I'm woke up and I felt great. And I still felt a little fatigued once in, even, th- you know, three days, post recovery i'm still feeling like i was in a war so So, um, uh, i'm grateful man well first of all we're all obviously so happy that you recovered you know clearly that goes i mean that should go without saying obviously you know all you know you're my good friend and the listeners all love you so we're all really happy that you're back uh thank you for, for our listeners i think the lesson here is to take this seriously and, uh, you know, the, this podcast will, we're recording this on the 29th of March here 2020. And I ex- expect it'll be online within a week or so. Uh, and I'm sure the pandemic will be ongoing at that point. And maybe this will be a redundant messaging at that point, but if it's not, and you're not taking it seriously and you're currently listening to this, then stop doing that and do take it seriously. You just heard it from a, uh, person who suffered through this about how bad it is and, you know, how close to death he thought he was. And, um, you know, I think that's pretty convincing evidence to me that you need, you need to be taking social distancing seriously, taking all the precautions necessary to make sure you're not spreading this thing around. Yeah. Winston, one thing that, uh, that came up luckily this last week was they finally did a proper, random sampling of a uh, of a country and that was in Iceland and what they showed because before this the only data that we had was you know tests from people who got tests who were really sick right and so they find in in Iceland they did a random sampling of like 5000 people which was perfectly representative of the entire uh, country great and they were able to show that 50% of people who get the disease do not show any symptoms 50% at all. And so everyone, so many people are running around with it and they have no symptoms and they're just passing it on. And that's why the disease is, that's why the disease is, um, is, is so difficult to control. And, and that's why the the reality is it's just everywhere at this point. And the only thing we can do is socially distance, you know? Yeah. Those are not good odds guys. Like (laughs) 50% of people, you're probably going to encounter someone with it. And probably yeah. going to become a carrier yourself at some point. So just yeah, apply. and in the in the people you could hurt are people you don't even know. It's that person who has an underlying condition that you don't know, who's maybe older or younger, whatever it is. You it know? could be somebody you do know and care about. It could be your own parents. It could be you never know. So just it, just because they're uh, you know good friends of yours, don't don't invite them over during the lockdown, guys. Just let it be. Just get in your own head for a little while. Read a book. Watch the movie. It's uh, hard, isn't it? Though it's everybody's, not it's not easy. But you know, it's it's this is a wartime effort. The way I look at it, you know, we are at war yeah. with the virus, and we need to it's, make sacrifices. And those sacrifices are staying to ourselves for a little while. Yeah, 
And that's that's it's true. All right. Well, what do you got, man? I want to hear some uh, okay some dyst- dystopia rising. Let's hear it. All right. It. Well, uh, I, f- I figured I'd start by describing what a dystopia is. You know, I think that makes mm-hmm. sense. You know, for those who aren't fully aware. Uh, the internet describes a dystopia uh, as being often characterized by dehumanization, tyrannical governments, and other characteristics associated with a cataclysmic decline in society. Um, I would say those are all really familiar themes with anybody who has ever watched the news in their entire life. Um, <laughs> because we, our current world society has a lot of those features, and I think uh, that's one of the reasons why dystopian literature is so popular. Uh, and not just literature, it's, it can be found in books, it can be found in movies, it can be found you know, any, anywhere art is made. And uh, it's closely related to another genre, post-apocalyptic f- fiction. The big distinguishing difference there is that in a post-apocalyptic scenario, there is no longer a society at all, <clears throat> uh, a functioning, no, no sort of functioning government, no, nothing like that. And in a dystopian society, uh, the idea is that there is still some sort of society, some sort of government, but it's just bad and uh, uh, harmful in s- some type of way to the people around. And uh, I consider this genre, the dystopian genre, to be possibly, if not the most important, one of the most important subgenres of science fiction. Uh, it includes tons of very important science fiction works brave new world by aldous huxley 1984 by george orwell fahrenheit 451 a clockwork orange handmaid's tale uh, children of men uh even lately it's become popularized in young adult fiction the hunger game stories divergent uh any number of it's become popular with younger age groups because i think even younger people with their access to the internet now can understand some of these themes a lot better than frankly, the more naive young people of previous generations Um, and tons of movies as well. Uh, Lots of examples, uh, the matrix Logan's run, Soylent green RoboCop, uh, the alien franchise deals heavily with dystopia uh, escape from New York. Terminator. Yeah. The Terminator films actually exactly, exactly. Um, and in, in a lot of those examples, there is a great deal of overlap with post-apocalyptic fiction. There's a, as a Venn diagram, there's a lot of overlapping area between the two genres. So, um, you know, a lot of, there's a blurred, a lot of blurred lines there trying to genreify certain works of art. Uh, but I think this is really my big take on this as a genre is that I think that the reason dystopia works so well for people as a genre is because science fiction itself is an exploration of the future. It's an exploration of what is to come next. And you could either be an optimist or a pessimist about what comes next. Uh, And there are are plenty of science fiction works that are optimistic about the way the future will go. Uh, Star Trek is a big example of that. But for every optimistic work of art, there are probably 20 pessimistic works of art because mm-hmm. it's very easy to look at our own reality and see the dystopian features that take place all around it. Um, I'm sure you remember 
the revelations about the NSA wiretapping. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, Edward Snowden. Yeah. And Edward Snowden. And you know what? <clears throat> the military becoming, or the police, I'm sorry, becoming basically the military, you know, in our lifetimes, watching the police go from, you know, regular, what you would think of as being police to having full tactical gear and, you know, attack helicopters and tanks and all sorts of, you know, wartime machinery. Yeah. Um, I mean, people don't, people, I think of a younger generation don't realize that that this militarization of our local police force, this is a relatively new phenomenon. Oh yes. This did not exist 20 years ago. And you know, there were SWAT teams back in the day. I mean that, but now it's like the entire police force is the SWAT team or yeah. ready to mobilize into SWAT function into uh paramilitary function. And uh, this isn't a dig at the police necessarily. It's just a dig at the direction that the police state has headed. You know, it's uh, wild. That's a really good point. And if you couple that with the technological, you know, uh, uh, oversight of the NSA, it's like it really has become, you know, it's one of those water boiling things where all of a sudden you wake up and you're just like, holy shit. Look at the local police. They look like friggin' military. Yep. And then you've got the NSA that is watching and recording every single thing that we do. Every text. They have a record of it. That's crazy. And, you know, and even in uh, that, that's the more obviously nefarious examples. But you don't have to dig you know, that far, like even in our leisure time activities, Facebook is a, like they sold all of your information to get a, a candidate elected. Uh, you're being subverted by uh, uh, fake troll accounts constantly, fake news. Um, you know, and there, there are varying degrees of what people think of as dystopia, because the idea of a dystopia is, of course, subjective. Um, there's no set standard for, okay, now we've, we've exited normal life and entered the dystopia. It doesn't quite work that way because you and I's idea of what is, uh, an unpleasant environment, like society to live in could very well be different. And your and I's view is certainly different than somebody who lives in a third world country. Um, and our society being the way it is, is largely dependent in many respects on their continuing to be third world countries. Um, Explain that. What do you mean by that? Because capitalism as a, a force has to have a tiered system, yeah. uh, uh, like almost like a caste system. Because That's true. Somebody, at the, somebody has to be willing to be the person at the bottom doing the menial labor. Not willing, but at least someone has to be in. It's just like slavery. Exactly. Well, I, I didn't want to say somebody has to be there because, technically speaking, labor is no or uh, slave labor is illegal the world over, as far as I know. Uh, but but force force labor out of desperation. If you create situations that are desperate enough, if exactly, you can exactly. hold back on social programs enough to where you just force people to work the worst jobs in the worst conditions for the worst amount of money, yep. then or, you know what's the difference? How is that different? Arrest them on trivial charges, and then literally force them to do labor. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah, that was that great. I would say that was the most dystopian documentary I've seen is that 13th, was it 13th Amendment or just called 13th on Netflix? Um, about, I haven't seen the documentary, how, but uh, I, uh, I'm fairly familiar with that topic. And it's, uh, I'm a big fan of Killer Mike. I think Killer Mike has a lot of good points about politics. And uh, he talks about that in one of his songs. Yeah, and it's 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 crazy because after the 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 abolishment of slavery, they're just immediately started passing laws to where hey, we can lock you know black people up for no reason, give them a record, right. put them in jail, and force them to work force labor and labor camps. Forget about so we lost slavery, but hey, now we got a new system. Yeah, and you know it's not just black people, but what it really is is poor people of yeah. whom black people are disproportionately a larger number. For various, but, but you're right. It's, it's also white people too. Yeah, Absolutely. it's it, it. You know, it, they just decided if you just couldn't afford to not be uh, turned into slave labor by hiring a good lawyer or you know, getting out of the bad neighborhood where they're more heavily patrolled, uh, or simply being able to bribe your way out of situations, um, and then you, you know, just, go ahead. You know, you know, what's a really crazy thing that I was thinking of as you were talking is that. But perception is so important in a, you know, we live now in, in what someone 30 years ago, 40 years ago might call somewhat of a dystopian society based on the NSA activity oversight of everything that we do and based on the militarization of our local police forces. And what's crazy, what's, it, what's really interesting to me is that perception is some people perceive it as oh no this is a good thing this is a good right. thing because they're so they don't have the perspective you know to understand how how the word you use nefarious this is and for me the, the most important book that i've ever read in my entire life was orwell's 1984 oh, yes. and i remember reading that at 13 years old and understanding or learning through the book how the media, how the the government, the state will use the media to sell war. Because in that, you know, Winston isn't that interesting that yeah. the lead character in the book is Winston. But I was born in eighty three, not eighty. I was eighty three, not eighty four. So I missed that that great coincidence <laughs> by one year. I know that is a big coincidence. Um, so, uh, so I wonder if your parents that's why they named you Winston. Maybe so because <laughs> you were so close to eighty four. But uh, but. But, you know, he worked for the, the Ministry of Information or whatever it was where he would re he would you know, the whole theme of it was he who controls the past controls the future. So his job was to go back and just redraft and rewrite articles so that when people look things up they were like oh we've always been at war with this right. state in asia or and then and then they would change and it would be a new enemy and the same kind of a thing i remember during the first iraq war and especially during the second iraq war when it was like no we supported saddam hussein mm -hmm. we supported o osama bin laden we created them we taught them, we militarized them, we gave them money, you know, and now all of a sudden they're our enemy and we would just go back and rewrite everything. And, and during that buildup, the the Bush number two uh, 
White House, their buildup towards this, all the lies and shit that happened to getting Colin Powell to go in front of right. the United Nations and all that bullshit. I remember just sitting there and, and looking, and I was living in the deep south then in uh, northwest Florida, and all these people around me, they were so into, like it was a football game. Mm-hmm. They were so pro-Bush, and so, and I was like, have you... M- Fuckers never read 1984 because this is exactly what they would do play by play to get this to happen. Well, and, they and so, obviously have not read 1984. No, I mean, they didn't. You know, because I, mean, <laughs> I asked them. <laughs> and I'd also like to, for the sake of fairness, I do want to be totally fair here. And I, that's, you know, I obviously, I personally believe that the truth slants slightly to the left, but Obama did all the same stuff. You know, no and, doubt. And, and, and yeah. let's not kid ourselves. It's not just Republicans trying to convince s- stupid people to believe bullshit. It's Democrats too, and it's it's not one side or the other. I do believe that the Republican Party has a way more developed and sinister system. Uh, their Ministry of Information called Fox News, uh, <laughs> and and it's been oh my god a driving culture force in the country and not just this country all over the world i mean the, it it spills out of the seams here in the states and ends up in the minds of all the other english pe- speaking people of the world and uh you know they really do completely distort information i mean almost unabashedly almost as if they yeah, don't, they just they don't even make it seem they don't even try to pretend like they're not they just trust their audience to not care enough to fact check it, to use any sort of critical thinking. And at all. It's true. It, this is true to a lesser degree of other media as well. I mean, it's not just Fox News, but Fox News is certainly the most flagrant and obvious and, tr- truth be told, the most wrong of any of them. Like they're the, the most obviously incorrect with their facts. Um, they just they just fired a uh, one of the hosts that they have on. I think it was on Fox News Business or Fox News, whatever it is. But they, that was saying straight out, the coronavirus is not real. This is just a Democrat. It's just echoing exactly what Trump said. This is just a, or maybe Trump's echoing what she said. Well, this is it's just a Democratic hoax. It's like that's not fucking news, man. That's coordinated. That's, that's opinion. Messaging. Is what that's that is. propaganda. And yeah, propaganda. Nothing but. And you know, again, that happens. That happens also when Democrats are in charge. That happens even when Republicans are in charge. When Democrats still do that, and you know, that is part of politics. And it's nefarious when anybody does it. It's not just the these guys doing it or whatever. But the end game for the different sides, you have to kind of weigh that. You know what I mean? One is basically unchecked corporate profit. Uh, at the sake of n- no matter what, killing anybody, destroying any country or culture that stands in the way in any way, and doing very, 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 very little for the people of the of the country that are making that happen. I mean, very little benefit at all comes from. Oh, it's insane! Uh, my daughter's except for the few that you know rise to the level of business owner or higher. You know what I mean? The the bosses, you know, benefit from that. And it then, of course, benefits the bosses to continue to also spread the propaganda because it you know gives them leverage. 
Yeah, I, I heard a great quote today, and it said, uh, "If capitalism so was so great, why does socialism have to to interfere every ten years and bail it out?" It does. And I was like, "Oh, that's so freaking true." Man. And I can hear there's at least <laughs> there's at least one listener right now. There's probably more than one, but there's at least somebody right now whose face is turning red listening to us talk and saying, "Oh, you think socialism is so great? What about all the examples of failed socialism?" And you're totally right. You're absolutely yeah. right to think that way. There's no perfect political system. I'm not no. I'm not here to say that capitalism is all wrong and socialism is all right because I don't believe that. I don't think that's accurate at all. I think a good balance of the two things is our best shot at creating a uh, uh efficient government for everyone. I think if that's if Democrat, democratic freedom of the press. For me, it's all about democracy, freedom of the press, and, and 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 get money out of politics, get it out. Let's have a funded system where it only comes from our donations as taxpayers. And also, for me, it should. I believe in capitalism, but it should completely tilt towards its small business and entrepreneurs. Those are that's the engine of the economy. As a small business owner, I couldn't agree more. And I could never be a communist because I do own a business, you know? And uh, yeah. just a quick reminder to all of you who are listening, you can buy issues of Infinite Worlds Magazine at infiniteworldsmagazine.com. They're great. You should totally check them out. It's a really good deal. There's no advertising in them, so the uh, consumerism ends just with buying the magazine. It doesn't go beyond that. <laughs> so give me, I, get, I give myself a little bit of credit there. <laughs> um, but no, no and there, I, there I think that's an important point, though. But is I that think we are not is a good thing, but should be limited to in its scope. Like, for example, the idea that private prisons exist is Ugh. beyond like it's beyond the pale for me. Like, it's completely un, un unthinkable that somebody could be making money by imprisoning people. That's absurd. Uh, pr- a public, or I'm sorry, private medical. And while I'm not saying it should be illegal to private to practice medicine in a private way, uh, you know, as a, as a business, the entire medical industry being based on it has very clearly not worked. I mean, you, you just look at the numbers. I mean, the look at your own insurance payments. You know, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. We we need a better system. This has to. Be- and if you're fired, if your boss decides to fire you, you have no insurance. That's right. insanity. It's that I I don't have insurance. I oh have a full-time God. job and my employer does not offer insurance. Ugh, so that uh, sucks. I also live in a right to work state so they can fire me for whatever they feel like. Uh, yeah, that is just right-wing nonsense, man. That's a nonsense. Um, so, so that whole know, right to work thing is mad. You know, I, I do believe that people should have personal freedoms as well. I'm not such a liberal that I think personal freedoms should go out the back door and everybody should be communal. Uh, you know, I want to have my own house eventually and live out in the mountains and that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't think that should preclude that. I, I, I think what we're talking about is a healthy mix. And it's exactly. going to, and, and what it's dependent on is conversations like this where people can speak freely. And that's part of democracy. And just, you know, and it's going to be a constant battle where those with the most power are, go- are never going to be satisfied. They're never going to have enough, and they're always going to strive for more, no matter how corrupt means they have to employ to get it. And we always have to be on guard against that. Yep. That is what the framers of the Constitution, you know, what Jefferson was saying, we need a revolution every 20 years, and that will never end. 
it will never end because well, um, those in power, power aggregates. It collects together over generations. And after a while, you have people with so fucking much money like they do right now where they control everything. And they, they don't work. Guess what? They don't go to work. If you have to go to work, even if you're a business owner, then you're not part of the 1%. Yeah. So quit deluding yourself and you never will be. So the 1% are those that do not. And I know people like that. They are generationally wealthy. They do not have to work. Right. That's not called work what they do. When you have to go to work, even if you're a business owner, then you're not part of the 1%. You could delude yourself and think that you are, but you're not. That's who we're fighting against. And uh, I have no, I, I personally only fight by trying to spread what I think to be positive messages. Uh, I, I, am critical. I'm definitely critical of things that I can see as being fundamentally flawed. But I think the best solution is to try to uh, uh, present good what I consider good ideals in a appetizing way. You know, it, make make being a good neighbor, make being a person who doesn't hate the idea of sharing cool. Because like Seriously, guys, and I, I, I end up saying this so often since I've started running this magazine, and that's that no matter how you think of it, no matter what sort of uh, uh, mental gymnastics you try to pull on yourself, the truth is this. We are all in this together as a, as a, as a human race. The lines that exist between countries, between states, um, between political parties, that's all made up bullshit. It is not real, and I sometimes wish that we would have a space invasion or something like that just so people could see this very obvious fact that we are one species against extinction. That's the only thing. I think we're seeing it right now. Oh, man. <laughs> I really hope this wakes people up because there's only one enemy of humanity, and it is, it is extinction. And I don't, know yeah. how to, I don't know how to make that more clear, more plain. That is – it's so obvious if you just take a second and look at it, but people delude themselves into not having to think about it. They'd say, Oh, I, I'll get raptured. You know, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> the end day will come and, and none, none of the damage I do here on earth will, you know, affect future generations. Cause I just simply believe there won't be future. I just deny the most obvious reality there is. And it's stressful. You know, it's stressful dealing with people like that who've been so, consistently misinformed on every level of their upbringing their entire lives and you know what it's like it's like going to a national park that is all of ours and you're walking down the trail and someone just took a big crap right in the middle of the trail a human crap and just doesn't care and just threw their big mac wrappers and it's mm -hmm. like there are going to be people coming after you just be a little considerate and leave it at least in the condition that you found it if not clean it up a little bit just let's all do our part and so we can all continue to enjoy the natural park, the natural resource. Exactly. The earth, our, you know, our one big shared natural park that we all live on 100% of the time, except for, you know, the few people living in the International Space Station. Uh, <laughs> well, let, let me ask you something. So I talked about my favorite dystopian book. Let me hear yours. That's a tough one. And I've thought about this a lot since we decided to use this topic. Uh because one, basically all of Philip K. Dick's books, uh, that title applies to them because they're all set in a dystopian future where things are all messed up. But mm -hmm. the fact that they're in a dystopian future is not 
really the driving force of the books. Uh, so I don't think I'm going to choose one of those. Um, there's one that I included on this list that's sort of an offbeat choice, and it might, <coughs> it might be The Children of Men um, by P.D. James. And P.D. James is a uh, British author, and she usually writes mystery novels for the most part. Most of her books are like detective, sort of somewhat posh detective books. And this is sort of a odd turn for her, this book. But um, I loved it. It's a little different than the movie. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, do yourself a favor and do both. But uh, the movie was fairly popular, uh, and it was really, really great. But the book I read after having seen the movie, and it is quite different, but I still loved it probably as much or maybe even more than the movie, which had become one of my favorite movies by the time I read it. Oh, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah, it's. Uh, <clears throat> I, I wish more movies were made that are like that movie. But, you know, you, you just don't get that kind of... You know, you just don't get that kind of product out of Hollywood. No, it's a masterwork. It's on a consistent basis. Boy, I sure do love Mexicans for making like the best movies. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but Mexicans have won like four of the past five best director awards at the Oscars. I know, right? They're, they're on a real roll. But that's that's Alfonso Cuarón made that one, and he's a Mexican fellow, and uh, you know. So for all, no, he's he's amazing. He's oh yeah. Amazing. So the book. So you recommend the book then? Obviously. Yeah, the book is a little different. The book. the book is a little different. It's more like an introspective journey through the character's mind as <laughs> all of these things are unfolding around him. He he's already exists in this world or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and it's a little different. It's not quite like the. And I don't want to give too much away, but that's a really good one. I love. For my part, I I have to say as as popular, you know, as far for, as far as invading popular culture. Uh, I loved my daughter got me into it, which was Hunger Games. I thought Hunger Games, as far as really introducing inequality and class warfare in a way that was palatable, not only to, you know, most of society, but especially to girls. I was like, this is absolute freaking genius. Oh, yeah. How you just took this idea of class warfare and just sugarcoated it in a way that it was palatable and just my daughter absolutely loved it. It was my only complaint with it as far as for myself as a reader was that it truly was a girl's kind of a fantasy in a way because you know the lead character i loved the fact that she was female she was katniss was amazing she was an archer i thought that was great but then there was the aspect of well it's a love triangle she obviously two boys love her and then uh, almost the more obvious thing was then she gets to go like cinderella to the ball right so before the the hunger games started she got to pick out her dress and she was the center of attention. So for me, it was like, uh, that's, I get it. It's cool. Much better for my, like my daughter liked it a lot more, but still I, I have to put it up there with one of my favorite, uh, well, it's, one of my it's, favorite dystopian books, man. Well, I, I'm really proud of the hunger games, honestly, to be totally truthful with you, because when the hunger games hit the scene, the other big young adult books for girls for everybody, I don't like to say girls and boys have different books or whatever, but you know, primarily marketed towards uh, was Twilight. And yes, there's nothing yeah. more vapid to me than Twilight. <laughs> it is like, and I know that's, I, again, I'm a cranky old guy, you know, shaking his fist at 
popular teen movies or whatever, but it's, there's nothing good to it. Like I, I, <laughs> I see no benefit of, I see nothing good about it at all. It's not bad. It's badly written. It's like a dumb plot. Everything about it. Stephen King just railed on it. He well, was like, this is the worst <laughs> shit ever. Well, then How Suzanne Collins popular? came along with this other thing, which is such a refreshing difference, man. It's a strong, powerful female lead who, you know, like really like takes all of these pressures on her own shoulders. It really does break down those really important questions about class and the way society treats people it is a bit of a ripoff of the running man uh pretty close to the same thing to be honest with you so it's and, not, ba- and it was really a ripoff of battle royale yeah and was, battle royale but which battle royale was a ripoff of the running man as well and yeah yeah, yeah but uh you know there we've talked about this i can't tell you how many times now about how these ideas will just kind of recirculate and come back through repackaged. And I'm okay with that. I really am. You know, it's okay. Hold on. Hold on. I will say this right now. I do have to say, I love 1984. It was one of my favorite, my second favorite dystopian uh, book was running man that book yeah the movie was terrible but hey, the book, it's got some it's got some cornball uh, appeal to it you know it is the corniest worst <laughs> i think i was so disappointed winston because i read it and reread it when i was young and right. then when the movie came out i was just i wanted to vomit i was like that was such an important important again about inequality and class because let's let's not forget 1984 was not about inequality that was about oppression and authoritarianism or totalitarianism Mm -hmm. within a government but fucking running man man that was the first book that i really read about inequality and that book is gritty and it is gnarly i think it's one of stephen king's best um well, I as a I, I hope one day my, one of my greatest goals would be to have Stephen King on this podcast or to, oh, or to interview God, him in right? any way because he I really you know it, again one of the most popular authors in all of history so praising him isn't exactly a brave thing to do or anything but uh, I really do I love I've read so many of his books I've just finished reading two more of his books I just read Tommy Knockers and Firestarter in the past like month Oh my uh, gosh so, yeah, I like, love I, both of those uh, Well I was surprised by how much i liked tommy knockers to be honest with you i thought it, i've heard so many bad it always makes his list of his worst books and all of this and i loved it i thought it was great uh oh, that's awesome such um, a crazy book right when she's digging and shit in the backyard uh, <laughs> to me the climactic like laser battle where they're all trying to get him before he gets into the saucer yeah is one of the best laser battles of any book i've ever read and i've read lots of them like I've read a ton of books where people fight each other with lasers and that was definitely one of the coolest. I thought oh, again, so you know, I'm just me and it's just my opinion. Um, but I think yeah. getting back to the topic at hand, I, I really think the, of, we talk about dystopian literature and I think the reason it's popular is not just because it's relatable, but also because of this point, I think that it's so necessary. And the reason I think it's necessary is because I think of science fiction as being sort of a roadmap of potential futures, uh, like a diagram of the way the future could turn out. And the reason that's important is because once you have that layout of a potential future, you can examine that layout for uh, potential solutions, uh, potential ways to avoid it or work towards it if it's something in that future that you really want. 
And yeah, as we creep closer towards the classical idea of what makes a dystopian society, the need for those clues that can be found in these writings, these, the warnings, the, uh, the, uh, the directions towards change uh, are so much more necessary all the time. You know I mean? How, as we approach the un, uh, unknowable future, we have to say, well, how can we avoid the future ending up like 1984? How can we avoid the future ending up like the Hunger Games? Um, and honestly, we're not doing a great job. <laughs> uh, I mean, sure. like, I don't know. There's no other way to slice it. We we had the, these roadmaps laid out for us 60 years ago, 70 years ago, and we're still blundering blindly into that direction every day. At least that's my perception of it. You know, no, other people- I, I agree. I think that the, the, the fact that we are just stripping away, you know, the richest country in the world and we're just dismantling our entire federal government. I mean, that's one of the reasons which we're in the shit show right now. Mm. If we would have been testing back in January, if we would have had decisive action where the federal government came in, because now it's still a blunder show. It's still like, no, let the governors do but if we would have been collectively united as as a society and said we need action now and if our leaders if we had chosen because we chose our leaders if we had chosen correctly and we had decisive leadership we wouldn't be in this fucking shit show mm. you know yeah and so like i agree countries with that you. actually took it seriously look at south korea you know what i mean south korea has a in many respects a very very similar society to american society i lived there for a year and I could tell you outright, wow. South Korean society is a lot like American society. It's a largely capitalist society, but they know how to uh, pull together when much more cohesive, right? Yeah, they're a lot more cohesive. I mean, you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's uh, a lot more of a homogenous society. I think 98% of the people that live in South Korea are Korean. You know what I mean? And that's not definitely mm-hmm. not the truth. There's no way, there's no single culture here in the u.s the same that's not true of both places obviously and you know that does make a difference or whatever yeah. but the way there's their government subsidizes health care there they don't get universal health care but the government so heavily subsidizes health care there that you don't really consider health care to be a concern at all in that country when i was there i got injured and thought i had broken my shin bone and went to a doctor got x-rays turns out that i had actually just uh, gotten an infection on my shin when i had clashed shins with someone uh and going to the doctor having the doctor's appointment having the x-ray having the doctors examine the x-ray getting a prescription and having the prescription filled cost me six dollars wow six dollars can you imagine how much that would have cost me in the united states Oh my God. I mean, thousands of dollars at least. Dude, can you imagine if you end up, if someone ends up on a ventilator and they don't have insurance? You're gonna what are they going to do about bankrupt. that? You're going to be bankrupt. What are they going to do about that? How are they going? Because 30, a full 30% of this country is uninsured. You know, oh, don't worry about that statistic. Yeah, you know I, what they're going to do? They're going to leave you, lead you, leave you to the wolves. Well, you, you can't have a third of your population go bankrupt. I mean, the, the economy will collapse. Like, the, there's no. 
I mean, but no we're facing a- we're facing that right now with with millennials and their uh, and their student debt. It's so heavy that they can't move out, that they can't buy houses. They don't give a shit. I mean, it's just let's who cares? The bankers passed the laws. They've taken away the ability to 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 get out of these student loans. I mean, it's it's fucking that's exactly what you're talking about, is that yeah. we are faced. We've been faced with these choices. The roadmap is there and we are not holding our politicians accountable. Well, maybe we, need- we can maybe do better in the future. Hopefully this is a uh, jolt in the arm. Hopefully listening to this podcast inspires you to try to hold your politicians more accountable to try to be proactive about these things to try to use your brain when you vote that's yeah, really because important. there are there are, I, there are things that matter gay marriage does not fucking matter who cares those are political wedge issues that they use to divide us as the the middle class so we don't vote together because the moment we start voting together they lose so what political wedge issues, you know, it's gone from the gamut of my lifetime from, you know, gay marriage to flag burning to this, to that, to whatever it is, to immigration. But it's all used to divide you so we don't or divide us so we don't vote together. I just want to say uh, for my part, I don't think of gay marriage as being a non-issue. I just think it's a distracting issue. Like I certainly yes. think it's, I think it's important for gay people to have all of the same exact rights as everyone else. And yeah, I don't mean it like that. Yeah, yeah I, 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 know, I knew what you meant. I just want to just want to clarify. I think personally believe, and I think you would do as well, that all people should have exactly equal rights. Yeah, like there should. But be you no, have to watch for these political wedges. Exactly. You know, I, like abortion used, and all that shit. Exactly, abortion. It's just being used as a dividing tool, and I agree with yeah. you completely. And it's 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 a real even worse because it uses the people that are involved in that in their real day to day struggle as pawns in this yeah it's propaganda machine and it's a tough it's a tough world we're dealing with and i have to say this pretty much every episode i don't have answers you know my role in life is not to be a political analyst and to come up with the the uh, i'm not a tactician that's not what i do uh my role and i nick's role as well is to inspire you guys to do it, to inspire you guys to come up with the plans, because some of you are tacticians, some of you are political analysts, some of you are uh, coordinators, and, and some of you will go into politics, and you will have children, and those children will be taught by you, and you can, you know, hopefully, have a greater mindset going forward, so that we can paint a, a better future for ourselves instead of the one that you know we're blindly stumbling towards now. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 I think the one thing that we've really, uh, that I've seen in the past few years is this lack of critical thinking skills Mm -hmm. and that people jump onto wedge issues as if they're, they think they're so important and they, they can't even think through those issues. It's like, you've got to learn to identify, you know, I, I talked about this in one of my posts was, you know, one of the biggest flaws that people bring up is that when we're looking at national issues, you can't look at your neighbor or your mailman. Right. You can't say that, oh, well, you know, this national problem. Well, what about my neighbor? And what that's just a lack of critical thinking. Yeah. Anyway, I want to say that from a dystopian standpoint, 
And uh, one of the craziest things that I experienced was, I don't know if you saw the video, but when I went and got tested at the testing facility, I felt like it, it was, I had to drive an hour and a half out into the desert. Right. Wow. And I'm kind of feverish. I had to like Jedi to even get a test and I was able to get one and pull some strings. And I, dude, as I drove into this facility, there's everything is on lockdown. There's orange cones, people in like hazmat suits, mm. police cars, sirens, everything as you're going in, keep your window up, keep your window up. You know, you got to put your like ID and, and my phone to show that I had approval to go in there. Wow. Dude, it was, dude, it was so freaking cool. And uh, another thing I've talked about in one of the posts was how, you know, from a mental standpoint, one of the things that really helped me deal with my anxiety is like when I would meditate, I would just think, okay, I'm just an observer here. Mm. This is not my world. Whatever chaos is going to happen is going to happen. And I am only here. I have chosen to be here to witness it firsthand. And so uh, as I was going through the facility, I could not get that thought out of my head. I'm like, I am in the middle of a dystopian freaking novel right now. The belly now. of the beast. Belly of the beast. I am here at this point in time. It's in a way, we, we can't, you kind of have to be grateful for everything that you encounter because everything, you know, I do believe has a, a silver lining. And for me as as morbid as it was, I'm like, dude, I get to witness this. This is one of the most insane times of all of, of human civilization, you know, and we're, we're here, we're witnessing it, you know? Um, you're not wrong about that. I actually, uh, thought of one more book I'd like to recommend. Okay, let's hear it. And this is not exactly a science fiction book, uh, but this it's a book I read a, maybe about 10 years ago. It's called White Noise by Don DeLillo. Oh, yeah, I read it. It's it, so good. It's an 80s book, and it deals with uh, a small town that is uh, uh, basically the victim of a <coughs> uh, industrial disaster where a train wrecks and unleashes a uh, airborne toxic event, the quotation marks around that phrase, and it's sort of an undefined uh, hazardous spill of some kind. And it's about the people of this town trying to understand what's happening as the the local news feeds them propaganda and uh, potentially incorrect facts. And the government starts coming in to lock down the situation. And I really liked that book a lot. So that would be another one I'd recommend to you as well. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, All right, Winston. Well, I'm starting to get a little bit tired here oh, yeah. again. I have to be really, we're at an hour exactly yeah. in one, two, one hour. We just hit it. <laughs> um, so anyways, man, I, I'm glad we got a chance to do this. And uh, Absolutely, man. Because this was kind of on the fly for us. We were going to talk about, uh, we had Kurt Vonnegut scheduled and I, I hit you and I was like, dude, let's just do dystopia. Man. We're in the middle I'm really of glad it. we did. I think this was like timely and necessary. So, uh, yeah, and I'm, we're all, obviously we're also glad you're okay, you know, and we're able to do this. So thank you for, you know, thank you so rebounding much. And so quickly doing that. Um, I appreciate it. And thank you everyone for your support. I've gotten so many hits, DMs, messages on Instagram. I really appreciate yeah, it. Check thank him out you. on Instagram. It's at Nick the Tooth. You can check me out on Instagram. It's at Infinite Worlds Magazine. And uh, you can find all the other links to all of our other 
uh, online presence there. I, I like to direct people to the Instagram. Uh, and yeah. uh, Nick, uh, dude, uh, get all the way better soon, man. And uh, we'll do it again in a couple of weeks. This time, I think we probably will do Kurt Vonnegut, right? <laughs> I hope so, man. I hope so. I hope things don't get uh, so interesting that we're just going to do dystopia number two. But we'll have to... We're the observer, so even no matter what happens, it's you know at least we'll be able to watch it. All right, man. Well, take it easy. And everyone, keep safe, man. Absolutely, all you guys out there. All right, adios. Adios. Our theme song was by Christopher Whitaker, and our podcast graphics were by Sam the Man. And you can find him at Monitor underscore Studio on Instagram. Adios. <laughs>